0: Jonas Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Jonas Pizzito, on WCPT 820.
1: Hi, thanks for joining me this Thursday, January 19th. You know, yesterday I announced the creation of a new segment, and I thought, uh, you know, every once in a while there'll be something that fits into um, into this particular folder I called it politicians behaving oddly or badly or oddly badly talked about Marjorie Taylor Greene and Kirsten Cinema the one who went to Davos wearing a polar bear um you know it is only the second day for the existence of this segment and um I'm afraid we have to revisit it because as bizarre As the news around George Santos, the newly elected congressman from Nassau County in New York, you know, the one who lied about his religion, his past, um, where and when his mother died, uh, where he went to school, what his job history... Basically, it would be it would be shorter for me to tell you the things he told the truth about, because as near as I can figure, that's zero. Well, George Santos uh, has. Um, oh, my God, he's taken this story where you would never dream it would go. Now we're if we weren't there already, we seem to be entering the realm of a second city skit. There are reports in pretty reputable places posted by reputable people that um, Mr. Santos um, was a drag queen down um, in Rio in Brazil. His drag name was Katara. Now, Mr. Santos has uh, faced with this. He has said it's not true. I am not and never was a drag queen, except now there's video of him. And, yet, and you know, um, apparently his drag name was Katara. There's a, a picture of him wearing a sort of a red feathered dress, you know, and full, me- you know, he's not bad looking. You know, a lot of men, you know, can't can't pull off drag. But as Brian Stelter, um, he formerly of CNN, is reporting, there is video of Long Island Congressman George Santos not only performing as a drag performer, but bragging about it, being interviewed about it, despite the fact that he is telling people he has never done any such thing. There is also an interview on social media with his former college roommate, Who said, you know, he liked the guy. Even after they graduated for a, a period of a few months, they continued to live together. But he said, I never knew him as George Santos. You know, to me, he was Anthony DeVolder. I went to college with Anthony DeVolder. I lived shortly after graduation with Anthony DeVolder. And he said, you know, even then, when they were in college... Anthony Devolder slash Katara slash George Santos told his roommate that his goal in life was to be elected to Congress. Because he told his roommate one term in Congress, that's all I'll need and then I will have a pension and free health care for life. His roommate, who, by all accounts, still likes the guy. I mean, he's not His roommate isn't doing this to trash him or because they ended their relationship on a bad note. He's just saying this is this is what Anthony. He said, I I've, I don't know this man under the name George Santos. To me, he is Anthony DeVolder. And um, he has he said to me in college. I mean, who says this kind of stuff in college? that, A, they want to be in Congress. Well, maybe some people say that, but for the reason that if you can just get through, get elected and live through one term, you have a pension and free health care for life. Honest to God, couldn't make this stuff up. If I had created some sort of fake legislator, say, to make fun of Republicans and um, had, dis- had created a-, a character by the name of George Santos, who had other aliases, claimed to be Jewish, and he wasn't, told people that his mother died in 9-11. His mother died in 2016. But there is literally, as near as I can tell, nothing about this man that we know of for sure to be true. Oh, and we didn't talk about this yesterday. One of the callers referenced it. He um, stole $3,000 from a GoFundMe campaign, money that was donated for surgery for a dog that was dying of cancer. If you... Up until this point, thought that maybe he was just a harmless nut job. Who would do that? Who would do that? The um, the navy veteran who um, was behind the GoFundMe came out and said publicly, I mean, does this man have a heart? Do you have a soul? The dog died. One vet said the cancer was operable. Another vet said it wasn't. The dog's name was Sapphire. That is, she had a stomach tumor. Um, and um, $3,000 was raised for the surgery that um George Santos or Anthony DeVolder stole. Seriously? I mean this has gone beyond the realm of comedy. And Kevin McCarthy, in case you were wondering, not only did not call for this man's resignation. Kevin McCarthy not only did nothing to try to arrange a way for this man to be expelled from Congress. Kevin McCarthy, he of the too few votes, he put George Santos on two different committees. I mean, it's already bad enough that the Oversight Committee and Homeland Security are now populated with um, far-right radicals. You know, he didn't have to. He didn't have to put George Santos on a committee. But you know what? Kevin McCarthy can't afford to let any vote slip through his fingers. And as crazy and as deceitful and as horrific a human being as George Santos is, Kevin McCarthy clearly believes that as long as he is in Congress, that's at least one vote Kevin McCarthy can count on day in and day out. So who cares? Who cares if he stole money that was destined for a dying dog's surgery? Who cares if he was a drag queen? You know, normally that's the kind of thing. That would get Republicans all worked up. You know, the Republicans who are like, oh, no drag brunches, no drag story time. Drag is the devil. It's indoctrinating our children. George Santos was a drag queen. Oh, well, we can overlook that. As if we needed more proof of how hypocritical they are. If, if George, can you imagine what would be going on right now if George Santos were a Democrat? First of all, I can assure you that every Democrat who had any kind of influence in the matter would be working hard to get him out of Congress, out of the party, preferably to jail. You know, and there are some Republicans, Nassau County Republican Party, they're furious. They're absolutely furious. But they seem to be the only ones willing to really speak out about this. You know, they've said we we don't think he belongs in Congress. We would like to see him expelled from Congress. He certainly is not will he's not welcome at any of our events, at any of our forums, at any of our gatherings. So I guess when you have nothing to lose, It's okay to take a stand against Anthony DeVolder. Oh, I'm sorry, George Santos. Oh, I'm sorry, Katara. This is a man who stole money from a dying dog. And that's, as far as I'm concerned, that is all I need to know about this guy. Let's take a break and uh, get on with some other stuff right after this.
0: There's no excuse to miss Joan Esposito. It's number one on my stereo. Live, local, and progressive. You can listen to her daily at WCPT820.com on your computer or phone.
2: Hey, this is Reverend Mitchell L. E. Kenna Kanna-Johnson inviting you to join me every Sunday morning at 7 a.m. Yes, that's early. But when you get there, you'll find information
0: education,
2: and you may just be entertained. That's the My Community Plan Foundation Hour, Sunday mornings at 7 on WCPT Radio, 820 AM, because facts
3: matter. Because facts matter. You are listening to WCPT 820.
0: This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: You know, there are so many other stories going on. It's uh, it's difficult to. uh, okay. well, let's you know, let's let's kind of do a lightning round here, because some of this stuff we're going to talk about in greater detail later. Like, for instance, Janet Yellen said that indeed today we hit the debt ceiling. But here's why we're she's going to give some lawmakers breathing room. She is going to, and, you know, I'm not a financial person, so I'm going to say this in very basic, uh, generic terms. She's going to move some federal investments around. And if I understand it correctly, she's going to try to, you know, amass some cash to pay some of this stuff. She wants Congress to act quickly, but... We're going to talk to um, John Lothian, uh, who is um, he writes a newsletter that's read by pretty much everybody in the financial industry. And we're going to talk to him later about the ramifications of this and whether or not Wall Street's going to get wobbly because of this. If I understand it correctly, she has said we've hit the debt ceiling, but by moving some of her baskets around she can stave off the worst effects until June or maybe even a little bit later in the summer. So we haven't started, like, defaulting at this moment in time. But she's saying, you know, guys, this is untenable. This is unworkable. This will not sustain so do something, and it would really be great if you did something sooner rather than later. We're going to talk to John Lothian about that, because obviously um, the Republican mega donors, particularly, you know, they're heavily invested in the stock market. No surprise there. And if it looks like we really are getting to a point where we are going to be defaulting and checks aren't going to be going out to the military and checks aren't going to be going out to Social Security and we're not going to be able to pay back the money we've borrowed from other countries, which is, of course, going to put them into trouble. That is going to make Wall Street very nervous. And when Wall Street gets very nervous, they sell and everything drops. Now, um, Ray was telling me that... um, that uh, Stephanie Miller this morning or yesterday morning was interviewing a financial expert who said, you know, one thing you've got to remember with these Republican mega donors, the only thing they don't care about social security. They don't care about Medicaid. Honestly, they don't care about funding a program or cutting a program. All they care about are tax cuts for the wealthy. And every time there are tax cuts for the wealthy, there are checks cut to the legislators who brought those tax cuts about. So how does demanding that there be spending cuts before they'll vote to raise the debt ceiling, how How does that translate? I don't know. Maybe John Lothian can explain it to me. Do they just want to humiliate Democrats the way they humiliated Kevin McCarthy. That's that isn't that is entirely possible. It is entirely possible that a simple show of force and look what I can do and look how everybody has to listen to me, that that's the point. Because these seem to be agents of chaos and not the good kind of chaos from Get Smart. These are true agents of chaos in And just disruption may be the goal. I don't know, maybe John Lothian can explain to me if there's more at work here than simply trying to bring the government to a halt and Democrats to their knees. Under President Obama, a lot of concessions were made to Republicans to get them to raise the debt ceiling. But I don't think that's going to happen under Joe Biden. He has as much as said it is not going to happen under Joe Biden. He is not going to in any way, shape or form approve any kind of cuts to Social Security. He's not going to cut Medicare. He's basically said no. Mm-mm. So anyway, like I said, um, let's see, what time is uh, John Lothian going to join us? He's going to join us today at 3.30. So hopefully he can help us make some sense of this. Also, I wanted to let you know in the four o'clock hour, Rick Smith from The Rick Smith Show is going to join us on the radio. He is just such a delight to talk to. Um, yes, he's a radio host with quite a following. He's also, though, a huge union supporter. This is a guy who started work, you know, with getting his hands really dirty. And he has a real ap- appreciation for unions and union jobs, which I'm happy to say that I share. What else? Um, OK, lightning round, Joan, you're spending too much time on this. Um, Donald Trump uh, is still testifying and giving depositions in. There's two court cases now being brought against him by E. Jean Carroll. She's the advice columnist in one of um, Was it um, L. magazine? I'm not sure which magazine. Glamour, maybe. And um, she had always said he raped her and he said she was a liar. So she sued him for defamation. And because New York passed a law that sort of grandfathered in if, you know, because there's a statute of limitations on sex crimes. And New York passed a law that for like for one year, if your sex crime took place before the statute of limitations, you have one year to refile it. And a lot of women have done that. E. Jean Carroll, one of them. So he's now facing rape charges. And he's still sticking with his, um, I couldn't have raped E. Jean Carroll because she's not my type. That's his, that is his defense. E. Jean Carroll, like Monica Lewinsky, E. Jean Carroll saved the clothing she was wearing that day. If he truly wants to prove that The semen on that clothes, those clothes, don't belong to him. All he has to do is submit DNA. And this whole thing is over and done. And he won't do it. Why do you think that is? Last but not least, even though the FBI has been uh, interviewing people, including court clerks, The conclusion today is they can't figure out where the leak came from. Remember the leak that uh, in, in last February it was leaked, that the Supreme Court justices were going to throw out Roe v. Wade. An early draft of their Dobbs decision was leaked to the media. No one knows whether that was done by somebody opposed to it who wanted to shock the nation and maybe put some pressure on them to make a different decision. Or whether that uh, leak came from somebody who was thrilled about the decision and wanted to leak it to force the justices to stay in that same lane and not to, not to veer too far from what they'd already written. You could make an argument either way. <clears throat> A lot of people believe that the um, leak could have come from one of the justices themselves. But um, if indeed they found something that led to somebody, they're burying it. Um, Because the word today is, quote, It is not possible to determine the identity of any individual who may have disclosed the document or how the draft opinion ended up with Politico. No one confessed to publicly disclosing the document and none of the available forensic and other evidence provided a basis for identifying any individual as the source of the document. The full force of our government weighing in. And we still don't know. I think whether they meant to or not, whoever leaked that document Gave the forces that support a woman's right to choose a necessary and needed heads up. Because by the time the decision came down, people were organized. People were mad. N- not that that emotion necessarily got us anywhere, but people were ready to fight back. But we'll never know. Maybe. Maybe in somebody's secret diary that will be published only upon their death will we find out who actually was the leaker. Oh, we're going to take a break. Um, we have an election coming up February 28th. There are going to be alders running as well as candidates for mayor. We're going to talk to some of those candidates when we come right back after this.
0: Take Jonas Pazito, live, local, and progressive with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT 820.
1: This is WCPT 820, where you can hear the Stephanie Miller Show every weekday, 8 to 11 a.m., because facts matter.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: There is an election. You may have heard a rumor about this election that is coming up uh, end of February, February 28th. Well, let me confirm it. It is indeed true. There is going to be an election in the city of Chicago. There's going to be um, people other than people in the city of Chicago will be going to the polls that day. But um we have been focusing on a lot of the older races and a lot of the mayoral candidates. We are, in fact, going to be doing a live forum. It is going to be on the radio. You're going to be able to stream it on our website. You can listen on the TuneIn radio app. It is going to be Thursday, January 26th. We're doing this downtown with all the candidates. Uh, the fun kicks off at noon um, I'll be there, santito will be there, Patty Vasquez will be there, Terry Ryder will be back at the studio holding down the fort. It should be interesting. And if you would like our mayoral candidates to answer a specific question, let us know. Send it to us. Use uh, this email address, question at WCPT820.com, question at WCPT820.com. And um, maybe we will be using your question during um, our Merrill Forum, J- uh, January twenty sixth, Thursday. It starts at noon. We hope you will join us there. A little bit later today, uh, let me see, Lady B. When are we going to give away those? Maybe um, at three fifteen, we'll give away a couple of tickets. Uh, we are inviting people to be in the auditorium. It's the Morning Star Auditorium. It's downtown. It's right across from Daly Plaza. That's where we're having the event. So if that's someplace that's accessible to you and you want to come the Thursday, 26th of January, to see this in person, we're going to be giving away two free tickets to show up and join us probably at 315 today. Uh, now let's shift gears. I uh, mentioned a moment ago, you may have heard me mention a moment ago, that there are a lot of aldermanic seats that are going to be voted on, some because people are retiring, some because people have uh, gone on to different elected office. And um, in the fourth ward, the seat is open because that older person, Sophia King, is one of the candidates to be the next mayor of the city of Chicago. <clears throat> Excuse me, there are at least uh, seven people running to be her replacement one of those people is prentice butler who joins us now to talk about uh their campaign prentice thank you for being here
2: hey good afternoon John thank you for having me
1: it is it is a pleasure tell tell my audience who you are tell them about yourself
2: Absolutely. So, my name is uh, Prentice Butler, born and raised here in the 4th Ford actually. I was born in Mike Reese Hospital, but later grew up a little bit in South Shore, but I came back to the community back in 2007. I graduated from Hills Franciscan High School, which is a local Catholic school that existed in the 4th for many years. I graduated top of my class, Valedictorian, in 98. and went on to the University of Chicago, where I graduated in 02 with a degree in political science subsequently i worked for the boy scouts of america the district executive for that organization for about a year then i spent about seven years of my life working in a bankruptcy law firm as a legal assistant so we worked on the subprime issues such as foreclosures and i had to deal with bankruptcy preparation and counseling people through those kind of challenging situations right and then after Mm -hmm. that I started work for the Fourth Ward back May 16th, of 2011. So this is actually my 12th year working in the community. So I've served under two administrations. I kind of know what works or what doesn't work. And I'm hoping with my years of experience and my passion for the community and being a resident of this community for almost 15 years that I'm able to be a good steward of leadership in this community. And that's what I'm hoping to achieve. But I'm enjoying the campaign process. I'm enjoying talking to people and really getting to understand and know their issues.
1: Well, just the fact that you said that you're enjoying the campaign process, that tells me right there (laughs) that uh, you have a future in this political business because it is really hard to, you know, everybody thinks, well, you know, elected office and sit there and taking votes and writing bills, but you don't get there with a lot of hard work and campaigning is a 24 7 job it is utterly exhausting and if you're the sort of person who really enjoys getting out there and talking to people and shaking hands then you're so far ahead of the rest of the pack Because it's it's well, look, I mean, we just saw, you know, even though she's been very successful, the prime minister of New Zealand saying, you know what, guys, this has been great. It's been the best thing I've ever done, but I can't do it anymore. I don't have any more gas in in the tank. It is really I don't I don't know that people who have never run for office or somebody like me who's covered those people up close and personal. I don't think a lot of people realize the the emotional and the physical and the mental cost and commitment required to do something like this. Prentice.
2: That is very true. I often tell people if you don't have love in your heart for people, you should not do this job. At any level, in the last two years, it has been especially trying with the pandemic and the instability in our city. And it's hard. It's hard, and it's sometimes be a thankless job. So, if you're not patient, if you're not serious about understanding people's concerns and issues and advocating for them, this is not a job for you. This is not a stepping stone. This is not. This is a full time job. Many people may say that an automatic job is a part time job. It is not. Not in the community such as the Fourth Ward. We have a lot of diversity in the community. We have a lot of challenging issues from equitable development, public safety concerns, education concerns, that we need all hands on deck seven days a week. And that's been something I've been doing for the last 11 and a half years. At this point, I'm used to the pace of it. I'm used to the rigors of it. And what sustains me is just the faith in people and the love of the community and just having invested interest in making sure this community is thriving in the future.
1: With your experience dealing with people who were in trouble with their mortgages when that whole industry collapsed, what are Mm -hmm. your thoughts on housing? Because, you know, affordable housing, gentrification, who can afford Mm -hmm. to live where? These are, these are really big questions that politicians have to, have to answer all the time. You seem to have a particularly useful insight into these issues. So tell me what you think about all this.
2: So you're exactly right. Housing in our community is really expensive. The average cost for a single family home in the Brownsville portion of the fourth ward is about $600,000. And for average working class family, you cannot afford that. I mean, I can't afford that. I've been living here 15 years. I've been able to find a condo I can afford But for a family, a working class family, this is something that is (laughs) unattainable. So with that Mm -hmm. being the case, I wanna look towards what we can do to have new modular construction in the community. What are new construction materials we can use to lower the cost? How can we leverage city-owned lots and sell them at a discount so we can encourage development of homes that are less than $350,000? And also, I would like to consider, is there any kind of long-term tax abatement we could apply? Not to seniors. They already have an abatement. But for long-term residents that have been here for a certain period of time, so we can mitigate the impact of rising property tax. Because right now, what I'm hearing from a lot of people in the community is that they're getting, on average, property tax bills that have increased almost 51%. And so, a lot of people that have been here for years have been pushed out. They can't afford that.
1: Mm-hmm. I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. I mean, if you're particularly somebody who's on a fixed income, whether it's, you know, Social Security payments or, or whatever, maybe you just, you know, you uh, the the amount of money you make doing your job is just at a fixed level. And all of a sudden a bill that was, you know, two thousand dollars, you open it up and it's three thousand dollars. That's a yeah. big deal.
2: Absolutely. We have a lot of elders in our community, and that is a big deal. Being on fixed income, we have to find a way to protect these vulnerable residents so they're not impacted by the changes in the community. Now, look, I, we're proud of some of the development we see along the corridors in the community, the bounce back after the unrest in 2020, and we have a lot of great projects coming to the community. We have Michael Reese going forward. We have Northwestern coming to the community. We have another project happening on College Grove. It's an exciting time to be in this community, but we want to make sure that the development is equitable and that everyone that lives here has a fighting chance to stay in this community. And oftentimes, you know, in different areas of the city, that's not always been the case, but I'm hoping to make sure we advocate for that issue and make sure we find ways to keep long-term residents in the community for as long as they want. So we have to be creative about housing policy. We have to be creative about how we can mitigate the impact for some of these major development projects and make sure that every project has some kind of community benefit agreement that makes sure that any project that happens in the ward will benefit the overall community.
1: I'm speaking with Prentice Butler. He is one of the candidates that will be on the ballot for the new fourth ward alderman. Uh, Sophia King, of course, running for mayor, so she will not be on the ballot. We're going to take a real quick break and be back with more right after this.
0: Stay on top of the latest news in and around Chicago with Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Every weekday afternoon from 2 to 5 p.m. on WCPT 820.
3: WCPT 820, Chicago's progressive talk, where facts matter.
0: Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820.
1: There are going to be aldermanic candidates on your ballot in in a lot of the wards, at least uh, 15, uh, when you go to vote. And, of course, you will be voting February 28th. Whether you uh, live in, there's some, um, there's uh, an election day in Lake County, also the city of Chicago. Uh, we are going to be going to the polls, maybe not in, you know, um, midterm numbers, but significant numbers. And uh, if you live in Chicago's fourth ward, one of the names you will see on your ballot is Prentice Butler. Prentice Butler um, running to replace Sophia King. Who has uh, decided to take herself out of the running so that she can be considered the next for the position of the next mayor of the city of Chicago. Prentice, one of the things that I want to ask you about, you're clearly familiar with the fourth ward, having uh, lived there and near there for much, if not all of your life. You know, with the huge issue, the elephant in the room is everybody's got an idea about how to make the wards, the neighborhoods, our streets, safer uh chewy garcia came out with a plan uh sophia king came out with a plan paul Vallis came out with a plan and while he didn't exactly come out with a plan uh the reverend willie wilson said that he felt that uh police needed to be uh, less fettered more freed with what they can do and where they can how they can do it going forward Uh, Have you seen anybody's plan that really resonates with you, or do you have some ideas of your own here?
2: You know, I have some ideas of my own. One is that we need equity and police resources in the 4-4. That's one thing. But we need to make sure that we look at alternative policing of public safety methods for our community. Violence interrupters who can build valid relationships with members of the community to find out about issues before they become an issue. We need to make sure we spend more about social workers and see if they can be in the community. as part of this tapestry of resource we need to be successful. We need mental health first responders. There's a pilot program that's in place now, but it's not in our community. So I'm hoping that we can formalize a program where we can have mental health responders who can respond to filtered 911 calls for their services. We got to look at this at a very holistic level and not just policing, policing this just after the fact. We have to make sure we're thinking proactively about how to address the issues that lead to crime in our community, but we also have to make sure that we have adequate police resources in the fourth floor.
1: How do you bridge that gap between a community that in many places is very suspicious or resentful of the police? And the need for that kind of neighborhood police communication to exist. I mean, the police are always held up and it's like, oh, you know, their clearance rate is so bad. But when when they can't get anybody from the neighborhood to talk to them, the people who were actually there when the crime occurred, it really makes their job incredibly difficult, if not impossible.
2: You know, we've had some very fortunate experiences having officers that built relationships and community organizers within the district has done a great job of building those kind of crucial relationships to get information. We need more resources like that to bridge the gap between police in our city and our residents in our community. Often when I talk to residents, they're asking, where are the police? in this area of the city. Now, don't get me wrong. We are completely advocating for police reform to make sure we are protecting residents as best we can. But when I'm on these calls for the beat meetings, when I'm on these calls for community meetings, a lot of people are saying, where are our resources? Where are the police officers in our community? And that's been something we've been struggling with in the last 10 years, since we had the merger of the police districts here in the fourth Ward, the old 21st district and The second district were merged. And at that time, we were promised the combined amount of offices. We don't have that. So when I talk about equity and resources, what I'm saying is that we still don't have the manpower necessary to really be attentive to the concerns that we hear every day in the fourth ward.
1: Those are those are the arguments and those are the problems that everybody talks about. I mean, a couple of the candidates for mayor have said that maybe we can um because recruitment has not been at real high levels lately, that while mm-hmm. we wait f- to find ways to boost recruitment, there's um, a couple of people who have floated the idea of trying to lure back detectives who have retired or possibly even lure back officers who have gone to maybe more suburban police departments. Do you think those ideas are viable?
2: I think that is a viable idea. However, I want to make sure we're scrutinizing the people we ask back into the force. Of course, we don't want bad actors. that have had complaints mm-hmm. with it, against them for years, so we got to make sure we're being thoughtful about that. Also, we need to think about other ways to incentivize not only police and firefighters, but teachers to come into the city of Chicago. I'm looking at other cities doing some very innovative work about taking abandoned homes, rehabbing them, and selling them at a discount to civil servants, that is certainly something I would hope that we can look at as a city to make sure we get quality teachers, we get quality emergency personnel to live within the city district. I know a lot of people say, you know what, Prince, you know, I just want to work outside of the city of Chicago. I don't want to work in the city. It's not worth my effort. Uh If we're able to incentivize good people to stay in the city limits. This would be a great thing. We have a lot of communities around the city that are thinning out. We're losing population. And what better way to stabilize the population and a lot of communities by having teachers, police, and emergency service or civil servants in the community. So there's ways to attract people to stay in the force, to come into the force, and perhaps as you just mentioned, bring them back from retirement given our need for personnel. There's different things and ideas I would like to pursue to try to encourage that kind of incentivization of good public servants working for the city of Chicago.
1: I have to say I like that idea, um, you know, attracting cops who are required to live uh, in the city of Chicago and teachers by offering. How, how do you envision this working? Would they get some kind of a rebate or get some kind of a, um, a deeply discounted price? How would that work?
2: I would love to have a deeply deeply discounted mortgage for those, and then also couple it with the teachers. You have a loan forgiveness aspect of it, right? So a lot of people in those professions are highly in debt after they come out to school, and in some cases, in different municipalities and smaller towns, they've done things like they forgive a certain amount of the debt, or they may provide upfront financing for the mortgages so people can move in and get housing at an affordable rate. As I mentioned before. The housing in our area is so expensive that you cannot be a working-class family and afford the mortgage. But perhaps if we take some of our vacant properties, we have a lot of those around the city. Rehab those and sell them at a discounted price with the centipidations I mentioned before about reduction in student loans and also having a massively discounted amount for the mortgage. You can really attract people to come into our neighbors that are thinning out. I don't know if you've been to the far south side or west side. We have neighbors in those areas that can really use a boost in the population.
1: One um, one more question that's kind of copper-related here. Um, it's become a, an issue that most local school councils are deciding, but how do you feel about a police presence at school and I can tell you, you know, on the one hand, the argument is don't do it because too many schools are using the police to try to um, enforce some kind of discipline. And they're arresting kids who otherwise wouldn't be in the system. And yet the other side of that coin is if there ever is an active shooter or if there is a violent incidence of uh, somebody who brings a knife to school and attacks another student, having a police officer there could potentially be helpful and at least make the teachers feel that they had some kind of professional backup. I can argue both sides of this. Honestly, I don't know what the answer is. What do you think?
2: I think each local school council has to make the final determination. I've seen where it works perfectly fine, right, where you have a police officer in the school. I think the concern that many people have is the over-militarization of our communities and whether or not these... Officers are engaging with black and brown youth in a way that creates more problems than it solves. But I think in the proper context, an officer in a school, if the LSC approves and that community approves of that, can be a good thing. But you have to carefully scrutinize how these officers are used. If it's for the benefit of protecting the school from outside influences and things of that nature, I think that's a proper use. But in terms of having officers assisting with disciplinary issues within the school building, I'm a little bit concerned about that use. But I think in some communities, we do need officers just on the school premises if the LLC allows for it, just to mitigate outside problems that might be in that local area.
1: We have, um, we have a couple of minutes left here to talk to you. Is there any issue you really care about and want to deal with as a member of the city council we haven't touched on yet? And if so, what is it?
2: You know, quality schools in our community, we kind of touched upon public safety. already. We talked about development in terms of equity and that. But we really have to get back to having quality neighborhood schools. On the south side of Chicago, we have one of the best neighborhood schools in the whole city, Kinwood Academy. And the principal of that school, Karen Cowley, has really done an excellent job about making sure that students, no matter where they come from, have a quality education and the ability to go to a wonderful college after they finish high school. I would like to make sure we are focusing on public schools in our community, make sure we have walkable schools of first choice and not last resort. Often, a lot of parents I run into say, you know, I want to stay in the city, but I am not trying to deal with the very complicated practice of selecting a selective enrollment school and then drive across the city. If I have a kid at one school or a kid at another, this is something I don't want to do. We have to get the schools right in our community. I think over the last 20 years, we have varying policies that took away from neighborhood schools or walkable schools. And I really want to advocate for that in the fourth ward. We have a lot of families moving back in the area. We're very fortunate about that compared to other communities in the city. So I really want to champion the public schools in our community and make sure we advocate for resources that can really make them all examples of quality schools that people would like to send their kids to, no matter where they live in the community.
1: How do you feel about charter schools?
2: You know, I have concerns. I think a lot of data has shown recently that charter schools have marginal Let's say impactful rates on their students compared to a neighborhood school, given that they have the ability to control the population, meaning they are able to dismiss students that are more problematic.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: As opposed to a neighborhood school, you can't do that. So right now, my focus to make sure we get back to folks on neighborhood schools. I have nothing against charter schools, but I think right now we should be all hands on deck in terms of making sure public schools are properly resourced. So they can be standouts, just like Kenwood, just like Diane High School, Jones, College Prep, and other schools we have in the fourth ward. And I would like to make sure we really focus resources on CTE program or vocational training. When I was coming up, I was younger. I'm not that old. I'm only 42. But places like CVS and Dunbar, they meant something on the south side. If you wanted to go into a trade, those were wonderful options. And I think we should emphasize there is a diversity of ways you can be successful. Sure, it's fine going to college, like I did. That's fine. But there's nothing wrong with being a plumber. There's nothing wrong with being a carpenter. As a matter of fact, they make more money than I do.
1: (laughs) (laughs) They make more money than most of us. (laughs) Exactly. we We have to
2: place honor back on working with our hands. So if kids say, like, you know what, I may not want to go to school, there's nothing wrong with presenting another option and saying, you know what, I would like to create a pathway for you to go to carpentry school, Mm -hmm. learn how to be a plumber, be an electrician, because those are noble trades. Those are noble professions that we should respect in our households. Once again, I think we went on a tangent for years saying that the only way to be successful was getting a college degree. And in many ways, it's great getting the college education is great, but a lot of us are in debt. A lot of us may not have realized our full potential that we would have had if we were presented an option about the trades. I think yeah, we have to do. Something I agree. About, we yeah, definitely need to. We'll make sure, yeah,
1: yeah. Um, uh, Curtis, we are. Uh, we are out of time. We have to take a break for news. It has been a pleasure talking to you. This is Prentice Butler, candidate okay. for Alderperson of the Fourth Ward. You will see his name on the ballot February 28th. Prentice, good luck.
2: All right. Thank you so much, Joan. Thank you for the
3: time.
1: We're going to take a break. We're going to be back with more right after this.
3: Hey, where's Hal Sparks? I'm not sure where he is now, but I know where you can find him Saturdays at 11. It'll be right here on WCPT 820 for the Hal Sparks Radio Program, Mega Worldwide
0: jonas Esposito, live local and
4: progressive the reason that i listen to you from the infamous other side you will call a spade a spade and if it's indefensible
0: you will not defend it and you know what i can respect that i'm telling you cpt 820
1: um i was just talking to prentice butler who is uh, one of the aldermanic candidates on the february 28th ballot in the city of chicago Uh, There are, I think, a total of 15 seats that are going to be on that ballot. Um, And um, we are, of course, I may have mentioned this once or twice. Did I mention the fact that we are going to be doing a special forum? (laughs) Um, It is January 26th. Um, I know I said I would give away the tickets at 315, but Lady B, let's um, let's go ahead and and do it right now. Um, We uh we're going to do this at the morning star auditorium that is uh it's right across from uh daily plaza i think the exact address is 22 west washington street at least that's where they're telling me to show up so you know if it's a different address who knows maybe you are going to be moderating the forum anyway we have confirmation uh, from mayor lori lightfoot That they, uh, that she will be there. We have confirmation from Congressman Jesus Chuy Garcia. We have confirmation from former uh, budget director and Chicago Public Schools CEO Paul Vallis. We have confirmation from the Reverend Dr. Willie Wilson. We have confirmation from County Board Commissioner Brandon Johnson. He who has gotten a lot of money and endorsements from the Chicago Teachers Union. We've gotten confirmation from State Representative Cam Buckner, confirmation from Alderman Roderick Sawyer, who is of course the son of a former Chicago mayor, I'll bet a brief one. We have confirmation from community activist Jamal Green. Um Jamal Green oh, oh I also want to one more. Um we've invited Alderwoman Sophia King, but as of the information that I have as of this moment in time, and if anybody uh, back at the station has gotten an update, please please correct me. But I believe uh, Sophia King has been invited, but has not yet responded to us. Um, Lady B, I don't know if you still have it in the computer, but um, earlier this week, uh, I think it was on Monday or Tuesday, I played for you. You know, Jamal Green, he's uh, I believe he's now 27 years old. He's a community activist. He has a, a lot of name recognition and a pretty high profile. But when you've got a field that this crowd that's this crowded, uh, they're not there's not a lot of donations to go around. And it takes kind of some big ticket donations to buy the television commercials and the other things that influence voters and get your message out. Lori Lightfoot, Chewy Garcia, Paul Vallis, um, Willie Wilson, of course, who is self-funded. Right now, they are doing pretty well for themselves. But uh, some of the other candidates are not doing quite as well um, financially. Uh, Lady B, I don't know if you still have it. Earlier this week, I played a um, campaign announcement or, or a campaign position <laughs> statement. That Jamal Green put out on social media. And we thought it was fun to bring to you because, as we said at the time, it was probably the first ever time that a candidate had brought their political positions to the public in the form of a rap music video. Lady B, do you have that? Excellent. Let's play that now.
0: Let's go. No. The bands need a
5: transfusion
0: So i coming in as the next man So you can say I'm pending Since W is not a 23rd I mean this year we winning I need mean, this year we get it This year is our turn It's time for the to try And make this U-turn Too so many people out here dying From all the sisters, violence While politicians are just getting rich And all you hear is silence No economic prosperity they rather keep you in poverty cars, high taxes Another form of highway robbery so on that mayor seat, I'm calling in. Go vote at the polls, or vote from the crib. Move it, move it,
5: move it, move it. This is moving.
1: What do you think? I, I would love to see every candidate start creating music videos like this. I think it would be wonderful. Now, um, in the interest of fairness, I don't know about the other candidates. I do know that there is a TikTok account. It's called something, I don't know, Gen Z or Gen X or I think it's Gen Z for Chewy. And, um, so there are some, there are some social media channels. That are um, perhaps designed to target younger voters that are out there. But, um, I'm not sure anybody has reached the, you gotta get it moving <laughs> level yet. Anyway, I digress. If, um, if you are the third caller, 773-763-9278. 773 773-763- 763 nine two seven eight you are going to get a pair of tickets to the wcpt's mayoral forum for the chicago mayor's race thursday january 26th it is at morningstar auditorium 22 west washington and um it is sponsored by morningstar roofers local 11 and oscar iberian rugs by the way um, I'm going to be joined by Santita Jackson and Patty Vasquez. We are going to be uh, moderating this thing together. And as if that weren't enough, there's a free lunch. <laughs> yeah. The festivities start at noon. Turi Ryder is going to introduce things and set everything up from the studio. And then she's going to toss it to the three of us out at the auditorium. And that's starting at noon. But at 11 a.m., there is going to be lunch. You get a free lunch with your two tickets uh, to the mayoral forum. Okay, now the boilerplate. Our contests here on WCPT AM 820 are open to you as long as you're 18 years of age or older Residents of the Chicagoland, Northwest Indiana area, one entry per person. I mean, there's two tickets, but one that means like one contest winner. Um, void where prohibited by law. Listeners may only win or qualify to win once every 30 days. If you want to find all the rules, if you are really into the minutia of this, go to wcpt 20com uh, it'll take you to Heartland Signal. Then you click WCPT, takes you to WCPT, and then click on the contest tab. Third caller, good luck. We'll be back after this.
5: This is Barry Moltz with a Small Business Radio Show. And like you, I've had a lot of businesses over the last 25 years. First, I went out of business. Then I got kicked out by my two partners. Then I sold my last business. And I was able to pay back the bank the $1.3 million I owed them. And funny enough, my wife tells me I got her back just about the same time. Join me Saturday mornings at 9 a.m. right here on WCPT 820, where I show you how to get your small business unstuck, grow the company you've always wanted, and finally make the money that you deserve.
3: This is WCPT 820, where facts matter.
0: This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: As I mentioned, uh, we in the city of Chicago are not the only people who are going to be voting February 28th. Today, uh, in Lake County, early voting began. This Thursday, the 19th, early voting is open. And on February 28th, the consolidated primary election will take place for residents of North Chicago and Waukegan. Um, that race involves, um, uh, second ward of the city of North Chicago and for Waukegan wards two, three, four, six, seven, and eight. We, you will be voting on those. Um, the February primary will determine the Democratic candidates for older person in every one of those contests. And as is often going to be the case around here, April 4th will be the follow up election. If in the Chicago race, If uh, in one of the aldermanic races that is on the ballot, if someone gets 50 percent of the vote plus one, they are going to be the older person done deal over. But with so many, I mean, there's 26 people on the ballot for one of the uh, aldermanic seats. I was just talking to Prentice Butler. He is going to be running for the fourth ward along with uh, six other people. So um, there are going to be a lot of races where nobody is able to meet that 50 percent plus one threshold. And uh, those races will be decided April 4th. So uh, it's another date to uh, get on your calendar. The big question in a lot of people's minds is, you know, will we have a mayor on February 28th? Again, that 50 percent plus one. There are enough names on the ballot and enough, frankly, high rollers and front runners that it is looking. I for a while I was predicting, as you know, that that somebody would just run away with it, that by the time February 28th rolled around and, we, you know, we still have a month. It, it could happen. Uh, somebody might be just so far ahead that the other candidates throw in with them. Um, but we'll we'll see how we'll see how that goes. I've been predicting that I thought that the mayor's race might be decided on February twenty twenty eighth. 28th. But the closer we get to it, the less likely my prediction looks like it's going to be accurate. I mean. You've got nine people so far, so it's it's going to be really hard for one person to be so very dominant. And that includes the mayor. I mean, the incumbency is very powerful but that's a that's a high threshold. That is a very, very high threshold to try to meet. And it seems. At this moment in time, it seems unlikely that anybody will will meet that threshold. So we shall see. But there are other places where there are going to be people going to the polls. And I wanted to uh, share with you that Waukegan and North Chicago were two of those a Lake County uh, started early voting today. Also, um, for your interest, I told you there was going to be um, a Channel 7 mayoral forum today. I thought that they were doing it live on television, but apparently they're only going to stream it live on their website. If you want to watch it on television, it is not going to be aired until, I think, 1030 tonight. And that, of course, is no longer going to be live. That, of course, would be a recording. So you know, I can't sleep at night. So that's probably what I'll do. Um, but but I think I'm. I don't want to give the wrong impression that somehow if you're looking for this on prime time on Channel Seven tonight and you can't find it, that's why. Now I do want to share with you. Um, City Council had a meeting, and we've been seeing some tremendous progressive legislation. At the state level, we've seen the assault weapons ban. We've seen all the protections for reproductive rights. We've seen the elimination of cash bail. And yes, I know each and every one of those things is facing a court challenge. Um, and we'll have to wait and see how that plays out. But I have every faith that these will emerge unscathed from those efforts. Well, the Chicago City Council is not being left behind in the area of a bodily autonomy. They uh, passed a, re- uh, they passed an ordinance in the Chicago City Council and it's called Bodily Autonomy Ordinance 2.0. The ordinance will prohibit discrimination and retaliation by a landlord or employer against an individual who received reproductive health care or gender-affirming care. That means you cannot be denied the rental of an apartment solely on the basis that you might be a trans person or, heaven forbid, that you're being refused because you're gay. That is now prohibited by law In the city of Chicago, the ordinance also uh, prohibits an employer from getting protected health information related to reproductive health and gender affirming care. It ain't their business. If you show up for work and if you are interviewed and you get a job and Later, they suspect that maybe your birth certificate at birth listed a different gender. They do not have a legal means to dig into your medical information to find that out. Maybe you've had an abortion and you've gone to work for a small privately owned business that... um is owned and run by people who believe that the government should be able to force women to carry babies to term. Government-enforced pregnancies, if they believe in that, you don't want them to be able to dig into your records. First of all, what an invasion of privacy in the first place. But to confirm their prejudices. If you work for somebody like that and they want to get rid of you, they have to find a real reason. Like, you know, you stopped coming to work or you started stealing from the business. Something worth firing somebody for. Um, State Representative Kelly Cassidy was um, was there when this ordinance passed. And uh, she had a, she was very pleased that it passed. She had a lot of good things to say about it. Here's a little bit of what she had to say.
3: Reproductive health care and gender-affirming care are health care, and they both are worthy of protection. We are watching these attacks escalate around the country, whether we are talking
5: about people going after families who access gender-affirming care for their kids, picketing a drag brunch, breaking a window at a gay-owned bar in my neighborhood,
1: or throwing a Molotov cocktail into a Planned Parenthood in Peoria. Our enemies are emboldened. And they are taking action. And so we have to continue to be creative and make sure that we, as, as, as leaders, as government, are doing everything in our power to put ourselves between the, those who would attack those most vulnerable and the folks that we have been elected to protect. So I thank you for this. Um, we're not done yet. As I said, those attacks are going to keep coming, and we're going to keep coming back for more. So thank you, Mayor and City Council, for your actions today. That was State Representative Kelly Cassidy. Praising the passage in Chicago City Council of the body autonomy ordinance, and by the way, that attack, that one attack she referenced, uh, throwing a Molotov cocktail at a through the window of a clinic in Peoria, that happened just this last week. So even in Illinois, where we pride ourselves on being a very blue, very supportive state, even in Illinois. Uh, extremism exists and um, we don't see as much of it as other states, but until this whole issue is resolved at a federal level, until a woman's right to control her own body is affirmed at the federal level, whether you're a blue state or a red state, you're still going to see this kind of nonsense happening. It's um, it's terrifying, but this is why we have to get out and vote. And oh, by the way, if you also want to send a message to uh, whomever did this in Peoria, that this is not something, not only is it not acceptable, but that they do not represent the majority of us. There are women's marches this coming Sunday, January 22nd. There are going to be women's marches. They're taking place all across the country. The title for these marches, Bigger Than Row. As I said when I was talking to one of the uh, Mount Prospect March organizers this week You know, you don't have to be bigger than Roe. Roe is plenty of reason to get out there and march. But as she pointed out, and as one of the um, younger activists that I spoke to earlier in this week pointed out, this is more, it it is more than about Roe. It's about control. Republicans feel empowered to impose control over different aspects of women's lives. And I'm going to mention it again in Missouri. The state legislature passed a law in Missouri that women legislators must cover their arms when they are on the floor. God forbid in the height of summer, somebody walks in with a sleeveless dress. They can be sent home. They will not be recognized by the chair unless they follow the dress code that has been imposed upon them by the Republicans in that state legislature. Among other, the topics that we've been talking about today, uh, we've been talking about the debt ceiling and, you know, Janet Yellen says, okay, kids, we hit it today, but I'm going to do some, I'm going to do some tap dancing and I'm going to save us from the worst of it for um, a few more months Till June, maybe, maybe a little bit later than that. But this whole thing could come crashing down. And while it's never happened before, we've never had so many, so many, so powerful, crazy people in Congress before. What will that do to Wall Street? What will that do to our economy? Uh, Coming up, we're going to talk to John Lothian about uh, all of that and much more right after this.
0: Podcasts of Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Just search WCPT 820.
3: Listen to the Tom Hartman radio program every weekday from 11 to 2, right here on WCPT 820, where facts matter.
0: Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: I am joined by John Lothian. John is the publisher of John Lothian News and a very popular newsletter called uh John Lothian Newsletter. It's been going for a couple of decades now and according to my partner ray anybody who is anybody in the financial world reads it hungrily on a daily basis of uh, thousands and thousands of people in the financial industry john i've discovered speaking to him on a personal basis is also one of those rare people who can explain some complicated financial ideas in, uh, in, in language that, that Joan can understand basic, you know, basic, you know, one syllable words uh, of English that, that, uh, that I can grasp. So I got in touch with him yesterday and asked him if he would join me today. You know, Janet Yellen said that we've hit the debt ceiling, but she's going to try to stall the worst of the effects. But what does it all really mean? Um, John Lothian is here to explain it to me. Hello, John, how are you doing?
0: Good
4: Joan, how are you today?
1: I'm I'm peachy. I'm first of all, I don't understand what Janet Yellen is doing. Apparently she's taking money out of one pocket and putting it in a different pocket as near as I can tell. But she has said that she is going to uh, stave off the worst effects of us hitting the debt ceiling for at least a few months. But will what she's doing, will it be enough to reassure Wall Street? Because it seems to me Wall Street sure gets spooked pretty easily.
4: Yes, there there is a risk premium being put into the market uh, that's reflected in uh, some of the Treasury securities about uh, the time when it's expected that the market will... Uh, have to deal with this uh, or will when Washington will have to deal with this and um, and so until that time she's got some options to um, to play. So as you mentioned um, you know right now she's kind of saying okay well there's this retirement fund over here that I can borrow from and so I can use some of the cash that's in there to pay the bills because I, I don't have to pay those retirees, uh, right now, and so I can use the cash in the interim, then I can pay that that fund back once uh, the government uh, you know agrees that we can raise the, the fund and you know get get more money in kind of thing. So uh, so that's the way. Um, you know this is actually a very common thing in a lot of different organizations. Uh, my church, for example, uh, would have this problem where in the summer months, When uh, attendance was low, uh, you would see uh, a dip in uh, giving. And so uh, the current fund, which would be the fund that we pay bills out of, uh, salaries and uh, the electric bill and all of that kind of a thing, um, would go negative. And, you know, we'd get all concerned, okay, we have a negative amount in there. We'd still have, you know, $100,000 or more in our checking account, but that was reflected in other funds that were meant for, you know, special giving and different purposes. Um, You know, we ultimately decided that uh, we were going to earmark some money from our endowment fund that uh, was going to be for, Uh, cash flow purposes so we didn't dip into those to those other funds but uh but you know that was an organization that had a similar problem and uh and dealt with it in a similar type of a way
1: so let me let me reflect that back to you to see if i grasp what you're saying it's that um the fund that is supposed to be robust right now is running on empty but there are other funds that are more, that are more flush, that have more money, that are meant for different things, but won't be hurt in their functions If we take a little money out to tide us over and then when this is all resolved, we immediately put that money back. It's not like if you take money out of the endowment fund, you know, it doesn't it doesn't mean that everything's going to come to a crashing halt. It might mean that, you know, maybe if we're going to rehab the bathroom, you're not going to do it this month. You'll do it, you know, down the road. Do I understand that correctly?
4: Yeah, I mean, what we're up against right now is the fact that there's a there's a debt limit and um, the amount of money that the government can borrow which it borrows on an ongoing basis to to fund operations um, you know it, it runs auctions all the time for different sorts of treasury um, instruments and uh, we're up against that uh, that uh, that limit mm-hmm. so rather than- issuing new treasury bills or treasury bonds or treasury notes in order to raise cash, in order to be able to pay our bills. We're going to go into these other funds that have cash in them to mm-hmm. be able to pay the bills, and then we'll just pay them back. And so we're giving them IOUs because those IOUs don't count versus the debt limit.
1: I, I follow you. Um, in my experience... Um, I'm a very, um, I, I guess I'm, I'm what you'd call a micro investor. I'm not exactly deep in the stock market, but I own, I own a a little bit, a little bit of stock. And over the years and over the decades, John, as I've looked at world events and national events and how they affect the stock market, it seems to me, and correct me if you see this differently, that Wall Street frightens easily that even if the there's a rumor that something bad is going to happen in an effort to get ahead of it sometimes there will be a sell-off based on little more than a rumor would you say that's a fair estimation that they tend to be a little bit nervous and quick to react
4: uh it, you know yes I and no <laughs> that, i would say this that that, that a lot of times what people uh, tell you the reasons why things happened in the stock market uh, there, they really don't know, um, you know, when, when you really get down to it, it's, it's a big macro, uh, big soup dish and there's <laughs> lots of things going on in there. Um, and so there's lots of reasons. Um why there you could say things one way or another, um, and so i I would say that there are times when the stock market really does react to something like this, and we saw it um, in uh, I believe it was uh, nineteen ninety five and then in two thousand and eleven when the stock market reacted very negatively to uh, both times when Republicans tried to hold the Clinton administration and then the Obama administration hostage um, trying to get them to cut you know uh, from the budget uh, before they would raise the debt limit and the markets did react negatively and uh, and they and they did tell the you know the Republicans that you know hey what you really should not be playing with this. This is a very important thing. The idea of a risk-free return uh, on investment, which is what treasuries represent, um, is important. And and so to to disrupt that um, is is very uh, is very. You know, bad for the for the market Um, when you when you get into the the fixed income market everything is based on its relationship to treasuries so what is it relative to you know the 10-year note how many basis points is it over that the note or how many basis points is it over the the treasury bill or whatever and so it's it's looking at it how it is you know measured uh, as a as a risk investment versus what this used to be considered a risk-free uh, investment but if all of a sudden because of politics that's what's happened um, these are not risk-free instruments anymore um, as we've seen from downgrades from the the ratings uh, companies, um, you know, that, uh, that that's a problem. And uh, and so that undermines confidence in the markets. And so you do see people react negatively to that. Um, and that and it does cause other markets to go down, including the stock market.
1: OK, well, we've seen um, what Janet Yellen has had to say. And at least I don't know, you probably checked the market more recently than I did. But as of this morning, it didn't seem that Wall Street was reacting too badly, but how much rope will Wall Street give politicians before they say, you know, this is ridiculous, Um, things look bad, I'm going to tell all of the people I advise to get out of the market? How much rope does Congress have? Is there any way to tell?
4: Uh, No, um, not really. I mean, you can tell. You can tell from the market as to like when the X date is, which is the date that uh, that that's expected that those treasury securities are the ones that will be impacted by a default, okay um because you know if you think about it um, it a default is not like every security in the u s is no longer any good it's those securities that came due this week are not going to get paid because the U.S. government doesn't have the ability to sell new securities or doesn't have the cash on hand to be able to make good on those securities. And so you're not going to get paid on those, okay? But the mm-hmm. ones next, week, you might get paid on because they might come to some compromise by next week and they can sell some new bills or treasury notes or whatever, and be able to raise the cash to be able to, uh, to pay those off. And so, um, so you can see in the market which, which securities are the ones that are really, the, the, you know, by the pricing and the, and the yield are the ones that are really the ones that are expected to be impacted. Um, and so you just really want to stay away from those. Um, and and that, you know then you're then you should be okay, um, but uh, uh, this could be an ongoing problem. Um, you know, it seems like every 18 months or so it uh, raises its head as you know they extend <laughs> out, and then we have to go through the same shenanigans again. Um, so uh, there's some people that say we should just get rid of the debt limit all. Um, well,
1: John, other countries don't work this way, do they? With a debt ceiling, I've read that it's just us.
4: Yeah, no, it's a, it's just political theater. It's Ugh. just a way to to have leverage over the uh, the other political party in order to be able to extract what you want. Um, so, uh, yes, it's it's not necessarily good good public policy for <laughs>
1: I'm speaking with John Lothian, who's the publisher of uh, John Lothian News, Uh, and he's also been doing a historical video series through his company, including something called the Open Outcry Traders History Project, documenting some of the history that is uh, disappearing before our very eyes. We are going to take a break. We're going to ask I'm going to ask more very basic financial questions of Mr. Lothian when we come back after this.
0: Take Jonas Pizzito, live, local, and progressive with you on the go by using the TuneIn app on your phone. Just search for WCPT 820.
3: You're listening to WCPT 820, because facts matter.
0: Don't turn that dial. A dangerous mistake to make. Jonas Pizzito, live, local, and progressive. returns right now on WCPT 820.
1: I'm joined by John Lothian, who tolerates my questions (laughs) with great patience. He puts out the John Lothian newsletter, which uh, even with my limited understanding, I subscribe to and enjoy reading. And he uh, covers pretty much everything that's going on around the world that has to do with finance. Okay, John, back to the debt ceiling and the fact that so far Wall Street is giving Congress a little bit of rope to deal with this. Here's what I, what I don't understand. Um, it seems like a lot of national Republican candidates are funded by very, very wealthy Republican donors. We have the Uline family. We have Ken Griffin. We have, uh, Mr. Koch, who is, uh, still funding a lot of candidates. Those would seem to me to be the people who would be most hurt by Wall Street getting wobbly uh, if the debt ceiling isn't dealt with. So I know that, you know, they wanted their Republican-financed legislators to bring them tax reductions, but another way that they could potentially... Lose wealth is if the stock if the stock market drops out like you and I have both seen it do badly a couple of times at what point at what point do these wealthy donors say to the Lauren Boberts and the Matt Gateses and the Gosar's of the world cut it out. Time to time to take a vote. You're going to be hurting me. You're going to be hurting my business if this goes on any further. Or does that never happen, John?
4: I can't really uh, speak with authority on that, um, although I would say that I don't know that that uh, those uh donors are necessarily donating to those specific congressmen or have that much influence with those specific congressmen. Um, I would say that uh, that you know the the people that you're talking about are uh, people that are running huge businesses and that their wealth is really tied to those businesses as opposed to uh huge stock portfolios or or whatever so they're not really uh, investors as much as they are um you know corporate titans um, where the where the markets would seize up um, where you you know the the banks wouldn't be able to to do things or the um, you know money markets seized up or uh, you know, whatever, if there were things things that were happening like that, that were causing uh, more financial problems like that we saw in previous financial crises, those would be things that would be uh, alarming to some of those um, some of those people. Um, now, the Ken Griffins of the world certainly is a huge investor, but he's a uh, he's a market maker. Uh, he's a hedge. what does investor. that
1: mean, John? Somebody's a market maker.
4: Well, he's a, uh I mean he he has a bunch of different invest uh, investments. He has a hedge fund that invests in a lot of a lot of different things um, long term, but he has a a securities side that is a, a market maker which means that they um that they buy and sell securities all day long and um you know hopefully are uh, flat at the end of the day they may hold you know um, small uh, uh, small positions in in some stocks uh, as a liquidity provider but uh, uh, but typically they are um, you know they're trying to um, just be flat at the end of the day um, and so uh, you know they're they're not necessarily uh, um, exposed to the uh, big stock market moves, they're just there to um, get you in and get you out, and to take a little bit in between, kind of thing. Uh, oh,
1: not they're so, not like me where you know you buy a stock and you let it sit for thirty years.
4: <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, you know, Ken Griffin, like I said, he's got a lot of different uh, types of things that he does on the uh, on the hedge fund. Kind On of the hedge fund side, both in fixed income and and in stocks and all that kind of stuff, but you know he's performing very well. And what he likes is volatility, and uh, and so if the you know if the government is uh, uh, going to create a little bit of volatility by talking about uh, uh, a default that actually uh, is probably good for his uh, hedge oh. fund.
5: Kind oh. Of-
1: Okay, well, yeah, I guess I just assumed everybody who was in the stock market was... was in it so that they could have some money to retire on. But, but I guess I failed to understand that some people buy and sell quite regularly as an actual business. I could see where vol- that kind of volatility would almost be welcome in a situation like that. By the way, uh, John, you may have heard, um, Ken has sold two of his four downtown uh, Chicago condos as he completes his move to Florida, um, maybe you and I can uh, put our resources together and we can snag one of the two that are left.
4: Yeah. He seems to be taking a loss on each one of the places that he sold. Um, he, The last one, I think he sold for $11.2 million or something like that. And he bought it for $15 million. Um, Ironically, um, one of the previous ones that he had sold, that he also took a loss on. He had uh, he had bought it from uh, a, uh, a former CEO of the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, uh, who had uh, bought it and put it all together, and and uh, Griffin bought it for, from him before he even had a chance to to move in. So. Um, oh. yeah. But uh, yeah, there's uh, Ken. Ken does a lot better uh, with his other investing than he has done recently with his Chicago uh, real estate investing.
1: Were you surprised recently when Governor Pritzker said that he was really sorry Ken Griffin was leaving? It was almost like they was trying to create some kind of detente there because, by by all accounts, Ken Griffin, who is of course um, conservative but extremely wealthy, a political donor, supposedly, and correct me if I'm wrong, John, because I'm operating a lot on the rumor mill as well as what I've read, that right after Governor Pritzker was elected, he and Ken Griffin met, and nobody seems to know exactly what they discussed, um, but supposedly when the breakfast of whatever it was was over, they were not, shall we say, seeing eye to eye, and... Um, uh, it, it seems to me that Governor Pritzker recently offered sort of an olive branch to Ken Griffin. Do you did you see it that way?
4: Um, yes, I did. Um, you know, I think that uh, that Ken, uh, you know, is a great great asset to the state of Illinois. He's a great asset to the city of Chicago. I believe that he loves the city of Chicago. Uh, I believe that he didn't necessarily want to, uh, move to Florida, but that, uh, you know, that there were reasons for him, um, wanting to, or having, feeling like he needed to make that move. Um, and, uh, and I don't blame him for, for those reasons. Um, and, you know, you can, you can talk about the politics and, and, the. Uh, you know fifty million dollars he poured into the the governor's campaign into a losing primary and all that kind of stuff, but I don't think that stuff really matters to him quite as much um but well, uh, the
1: timing was awfully odd because he, in, he infused all these millions of dollars in Richard Irvin's campaign for governor and and some other losers and then it seems like most if all of, not all of his candidates lost and then pretty shortly thereafter it was like you know what guys I'm moving to Florida it kind of seemed it seemed a little connected to me john
4: yeah but he had been making some investments in in real estate Um, Down in Florida, he'd been moving staff down to Florida, um, you know, planning, uh, planning that move for a while. Um, So in terms of the announcement of it, I wasn't uh, wasn't very surprised. Um, But, uh, you know, there is a problem in Chicago with uh, with crime and uh, there is a problem with uh, with with shootings. Um, and shootings in places where you don't expect them to be um, and in neighborhoods where uh, where Ken, you know, lived and where Ken's workers lived and where his offices are. Uh, and I think that uh, there were some experiences there for some people on his staff that were, um, you know, Significant enough that uh, he made the decision that you know what I want to go to some place that uh, where he thinks there's less crime. Um, I don't know that South Florida. Maybe did we is.
1: just did we just lose him?
4: No, oh,
1: he I, well, I, dropped out of my ear. Sorry, sorry, John. I guess you were still on the radio, but suddenly I couldn't hear you. Um, anyway, yeah. um, thank you, John, for spending time with us. I enjoy reading your newsletter in my email box every day, Uh, John Lothian uh, News, and you should subscribe to it if you don't, because even a non-financial person can find it entertaining and informative. Thanks for being here, John. I appreciate it.
4: I'm glad to be here, and thanks for having me on.
1: Always, always a pleasure. We are going to take a break. We're going to have news, and we're going to be back with the lovely and talented Rick Smith right after this.
3: This is WCPT 820. Listen in Chicago on 820 AM or stream us live on WCPT820.com. The tune-in radio app or tell Alexa or Google to play WCPT.
0: Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: Every night here on WCPT, you are treated to the Rick Smith Show We love hearing him on the radio, and the only thing we love more than that is actually talking to him here on the radio. I am so pleased Rick had some time to join us today to talk about pretty much everything. Hello, Rick. How
5: are you? Hey, Joan. How are you? Great to hear from you again. Always love doing the show.
1: How is 2023 treating you so far?
5: Uh, I think it's exactly what we expected. The Republican House clown show is is steaming down the track. The uh, the clowns are jumping out of the car and and doing what we knew they were going to do. They're going to go after the IRS. They're going to make things worse. You know, basically what we what we knew coming into the year was going to happen They're They're they are not failing uh, to disappoint.
1: You know, I have to tell you, Rick, uh, I made that clown car analogy uh, last week. On the air and one of my listeners emailed in that, that I was really being offensive to clowns because when you think about a clown car, the clowns who get out of a clown car, you know, they're all shot sizes and shapes. They're a very diverse crowd that they are. It's really an insult to them to compare them to the Republican members in Congress. So I just offer that to you. Something to think about. Fair.
5: Uh, but I would argue that you know what we see coming out of the Republican House right now is fairly diverse. You've got people who who hate workers, you've got people who hate children, you got people who hate America, you got people who hate the you and me. There, there's a lot of hate to go around there. A diverse, wide array of hate there in the GOP. You'd think
1: that they would find it exhausting after a while, Rick. I mean, there haven't been too many times when I've gotten really angry at somebody, but generally after a while I just have to let it go because of the it just exhausts me. And yet for some of the people I see it seems to fuel
5: them. No, it's it's all about the attention. Look, you have the sad reality and this is where this is where the struggle is we've got people who are in our halls of power who have no interest in governing they have no interest in making lives better for them it's about the show it's about hey look at me hey love me hey uh, click me hey fox news bring me on it's about the podcast circuit it's it's about the the star instead of the job and this is where my frustration is because i'm somebody i don't care which party you come from i don't care what your ideology is if you're going to help make working people's lives better I'm going to listen, and if it's a good idea, it's a good idea. Sadly, no good ideas here. And you look at what they pulled out yesterday, this, this fake tax act they're calling a, a fair tax act. We're going to abolish the IRS, which sounds great. Hey, we're not going to have to pay taxes. Until you read the actual bill that says we're going to have a federal sales tax of 23%. Mm-hmm. Think about this working, folks. What kind of massive tax increase? That would be on the average family. What kind of inflation would that cause in our economy, and how many job loss? Think of the chaos that yes. these folks want to inflict. This is the this is my problem. Well, all the fun and the entertainment, and the, the, the Marjorie Trainwreck Greens and this Santos nonsense of wow, how this guy gets elected. All that all that show aside, the reality is what they're pitching is painful. It's destructive, and the cruelty I believe is the point. Because that's what I believe these folks are. These are these are folks who are cruel. Cool.
1: Here's the thing I don't get, Rick. Um, it it you know every you know like the night Kevin McCarthy was going through 15 different votes to try to become speaker. Pretty much, I watched. I was switching back and forth from CNN to MSNBC, and I know under Chris Licht, CNN is supposed to be going back to its. You know, absolutely no opinion, you know, bipartisan roots. But even on CNN, they were saying that these radical Republicans, it's not like they're holding up the process because they really have a goal in mind or they want support for a policy. What you said a moment ago, the chaos, the disruption is the point. So if you live in Lauren Boebert's district or Matt Gates's district, how do you go to the polls and say to yourself, yep, that's my person, that's who I believe is doing what I want them to do in Congress? How does that
5: happen? Here's, my view, is, here's my view on this, and this is where the Republicans have, have tapped into the working class male brain. Uh, we want someone who's going to fight for us. So they tell us, you know, we're fighting the the swamp, we're fighting the evil empire, we're fighting the elites, we're fighting for you. Now, it's the wrong fights, the the fights that they're engaging in are going to make our lives worse, it's going to be much more painful, but at least they're fighting. And they've built a massive media empire through their dominance in talk radio, through their dominance in cable news, their dominance online. They've created this narrative that they're fighting, you know, the big evil government, because, Joan, the stove troopers are coming. They're coming for your gas stoves. They're just Ugh. around the corner. They've teamed up with MS13. They've teamed up with Antifa, and they're coming for the stoves. No stove, no stove it is unprotected, and, and to get people outraged and worked up and going, "No, I like my gas stove." Stop the evil government. And this is what this is the outrage candy the working class of this country has been fed for decades. So when they see someone working, we're, we're going to fight for smaller government. I don't even know what that means. Uh-huh. I don't want small or big government. I want effective government. And what we have right now is anything but because nothing's going to get done these next 2 years. Their their flat tax scheme because all this this fair tax nonsense that they put out yesterday is nothing but Steve Forbes's flat tax from the 90s. Again, still a bad idea. Was bad idea then, bad idea now. But it's it's about the chaos. But you asked about, you know, how working class people buy into this. They believe that someone's fighting for them. And this is where Democrats, Democrats have to stand up, steal the spine a little bit, ball up those digits, make little fists and get in there (laughs) and and take a couple of swings. You know, I've said about Democrats for years in a street fight, they'll offer to hold your coat. It's time to put down the coat, get in there and take a couple of swings. This is what we need to be doing, pushing back. And I'm I'm starting to see little bits and pieces. From who? From who? Um, look, I, I'm looking at Biden and the policies that he's moving. Mm-hmm. I love the stuff he's doing on manufacturing. I love the stuff that they got done on infrastructure. I love the fact that we're gonna, we're taking on China in ways that Trump did a, a, a massive PR campaign on. Yeah, Trump was right. We got a China problem. Didn't do anything now. Didn't have a plan. Didn't have any strategy whatsoever. Just blurted stuff out. But Biden's actually moving on this. We're actually reshoring manufacturing. We're actually bringing jobs back. We're actually going to, oh, I don't know, recreate a prosperous working class. This is something we should be thrilled about. Put down the outrage candy. Get away from the stove trooper nonsense. Let's talk about the jobs. Let's talk about bringing things back and manufacturing things here at home again. That's my wheelhouse.
1: Yeah. I'm talking to Rick Smith. You hear his show here every night, the Rick Smith Show. We are going to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk a little bit more about this whole gas stove nonsense, the latest uh, fodder for the outrage machine. We'll be back with more after this.
0: Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram. Stephanie Miller. We get an awful America-hating WNBA player, while Russia gets an international arms dealer. That's the thing about the whole Hunter Biden thing. Are we just ignoring that every rant he
1: posts, he's obviously completely drunk and/or coke to the gills? <laughs> I'm just saying. right? It's, allegedly, Chris. It's Did I say
5: Adderall that he's crushed up and snorted? I'm sorry.
1: Allegedly, Trump
5: organization criminal <laughs> criminal Trump organization is what's not alleged anymore. Right. Stephanie
3: Miller, weekday mornings, eight to eleven on WCPT eight twenty. Chicago's Progressive Talk, WCPT 820, where facts matter.
0: This is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: And I am so pleased to be joined by Rick Smith. He does a show here on WCPT every evening and is one of the great progressive voices out there. You know, um, Rick, a moment ago you were talking about the whole outrage machine getting fueled up about gas stoves. Last week, Tuesday, January 10th, I interviewed Tribune, Chicago Tribune environmental and public health reporter Michael Hawthorne. We talk every few months. He's been doing a lot of investigative work on these PFAS, these forever chemicals that are in our water and how that's working out. And at the end of our interview, I said to him, I said, so looking ahead to 2023, what should I be paying attention to? And he said in his capacity as an environmental and public health reporter, we should be looking at gas stoves. There are more and more public health studies that show that they release particulates into our houses, that houses that have gas stoves. Tend to have more human beings living in them who have asthma. And he said that's going to be an issue to look forward to. It seemed like a public health discussion. The very next day, I started seeing everywhere Democrats are coming for your gas stoves. You know, I'll, you know, nobody's going to get my gas stove out of my house. Ron DeSantis. Well, I'm going to I'm going to make sure that gas stoves are taxed. I want to make sure everybody can afford a gas stove. And I'm like, how did something that was a public health situation? Maybe we should look at this. Let's maybe we should study this. Does it increase the risk of asthma? Is this something we should consider phasing out? But no, now it is a Democratic versus Republican issue. How does this happen to public health, which is near and dear to my
5: heart? You know, as I said on, on my show the day that that hit, I go, you know, I'm waiting. You know, I, it's, it's 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 a good thing the 70s happened when they did. And we got the Clean Water Act and the Clean Air Act and all that stuff. Because I grew up in Cleveland, which was basically the home of both of those things. Because as a kid, Lake Erie was, well, the only, the only fish you saw at Lake Erie were floating sideways with one eye staring up at the sky. <laughs> For those who don't know, they were dead. Um, because it was so badly polluted. I kept, I kept, I kept, I asked the question, if it were today, if we were fighting against lead, lead, lead being added, added to gasoline or asbestos, can you imagine a member of Congress coming on the floor with an asbestos coat on going, you're not going to take my warm asbestos coat. This helps keep me warm in the winter. Or having Marsha Blackburn go on the floor of the Senate and go, how dare you deny my children paint chips before bed. I mean, this is how insane our system has gotten. Now, none of us would think that could happen. But this gas stove thing, this is a perfect example. I grew up in a house as a kid. We had a gas stove. It was horrible. The smell was horrible. I suffered from asthma for years because not just that, but the pollution of being near the airport. But, you know, all of these things contributed. And I got to be honest, having a public health conversation has now turned into, well, we got to feed people the outrage candy. Back to what I said. They're fighting for you to have asthma. They're fighting for your kids to be sick because you know what? You're right as an American. You should be able to you should be able to pollute your children's lungs with whatever you want. Great. I
1: think there's also a cynical component to this. You know, th- you know, they're thinking, well, our voters are probably too stupid to really understand the debt ceiling. But everybody knows what a gas stove is. This will be the new covid vaccine. You know, oh, let's drink bleach rather than take a covid vaccine. Why? Well, why not? Because Republicans and say I mean, it's so uh,
5: for just to be <laughs> perfectly clear. I was in favor of people. Uh, drinking bleach and shoving a light bulb up there behind. I was in favor of both of those things. If you're dumb enough to do it, uh, good on you. <laughs> oh
1: okay. Well that's that's really good to know. We know we
5: also uh, in our the house caveat is it wasn't gonna the caveat was it wasn't gonna cure COVID. It's probably gonna do some really nasty things to your intestines and really bad for you. So smart people don't. But if you're dumb enough to fall for we should interject, you know, Clorox into the blood and bulbs up the butt, then you know, hey Good for you. It's America. Live your best life.
1: Well, you know, there were in the early stages of the pandemic, I remember reading there were one or two deaths by COVID of people who had been and and there was even a hospitalization for poisoning of people who were using ivermectin. The horse dewormer that had been touted by Republicans as as a, a better a better treatment than those those sus, those suspect vaccines that the Democrats want you to take. But I was going to say we also had a gas stove growing up and. um I never suffered from asthma, but I almost blew up the house uh, one day um, when I was in uh, when I was fifth in fifth grade, and I decided I was going to make a cake, and I wasn't sure because back in the day, remember how you had to light the oven? That you had to go flame. in there with a lit flame when you turned it on so that the gas would catch. And I wasn't Ooh. sure whether or not it had lit, so I opened up the oven as I was holding a lit match. And indeed, the oven had not caught before, but it had filled up with gas quite nicely, and uh, it was quite a little explosion that rocked me back. And I believe it took my eyebrows off, and um, I had first degree burns all over my face. So yeah, they're not perfect, folks.
5: <laughs> yeah, these are the same people who you know who don't read the warning of not putting the gas grill in and, and gas grilling inside. I, I mean, it's we're just in this weird spot, and, and my the sad reality is. is you know, you brought up the ivermectin, you brought up the you know, the Clorox and all that. Um, if you don't have a relationship with a doctor that you trust, uh, that's going to give you sound medical advice. I don't know that going to YouTube while sitting on the can is doing your research and certainly not listening to politicians tell you what is good for your health. This should be something that we have trusted professionals. And the thing that Republicans have done masterfully is their hatred for the educated, the hatred for, for, for people who are smart. Uh, really has ramped up over the last ten years to where we don't believe the experts anymore. Where we don't, we don't. Mm-hmm. Want- we're 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 so smart, and this is what right wing talk radio has done masterfully. They've pumped up the poorly educated to believe that you know they've got they've got the PhD from the school of hard knocks. Not the same. Um, you don't get your uh, you don't get your your vaccine license from a, a gumball machine. You, we're not mm-hmm. an epidemiologist because we bought a cracker jack box.
1: But and they, the really crazy part of it is a lot of those same candidates and politicians they embrace as representing them. They're all Ivy League guys. Josh Hawley, Ted
5: Cruz, you know, they're not men of the people. So let me ask you the, the cynical question, because here's the cynical question. Now, cause I have I have sympathy for dupes on January 6th who went to Washington and believing that they were they were they, they fully believed to their core that they were patriots and that they were fighting for their country, and they truly believe, I believe, you know, I feel I have some sympathy for them. The people who knew better, the people who know it's all a a shtick, they know it's a game, they know it's political theater, they know they're using the pawns, they know people are going to be hurt. I think they're so much worse, and we need to hold them accountable. And sadly, those are the people who I believe are in Congress. Uh, the Ivy Leaguers, the, the Hollies and the Cruises. Now, the Boeberts and the Greens, I put them in the dupe category. They're they're dangerous. Now, the absurdity of who they are and what they do should not be confused for just for being stupid. They're dangerous people. But I, I have different sympathies for each of them because I think the people who know better should do better.
1: Mm-hmm. Absolutely. You know it is it is cynicism of of the deepest sort. It is it is well it's I think in some respects they have gotten the speaker they deserve in Kevin McCarthy. Yes. A man who is him. by by,
5: by all accounts an empty shell. Yep. No, did you want him to get it? Cuz I did. I I wished this for him. I said, <laughs> you know, from the beginning, I want him he wants it. I want him to have it. Because when he wakes up in the morning, I want him thinking of every one of those insurrectionist Republicans, my congressman, Scott, pardon me, Perry. I want him to be on McCarthy's mind when he wakes up, when he gets heartburn drinking his coffee, when he when he almost vomits in his throat because of lunch and the acid reflux is killing him. When he goes to bed at night, the nightmares start. I want him thinking about all of the things that they're going to do to him over the next two years and the 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 ulcers and the stress from will I be replaced tomorrow? That to me, I wished for him. Is that
1: cruel? No, no, it's it's not cruel at all. I understand exactly what you're saying. I share many of those same feelings, but it's like, it's like you know, it's like this guy had this goal. And whatever it takes to get there. And maybe, maybe he doesn't have the acid reflux. Maybe he doesn't care if he's speaker for the, for the next five months or the next five minutes because he, that's what he wanted and he got it. I'm beginning to think that he knows full well that he's not going to last in the job, but he got there. He told everybody he was going to get there. He's wanted it since at least 2015. And by God, he got there. He showed us all, didn't he?
5: Yeah, he's going to go down in history. He's 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 history. He's part of history, not a good part. It's like yeah. no, he's a part of history, not a good part. Uh, this George Santos, another one, going to be part of history. We're going to remember this guy for a while.
1: Oh my God, whether we want to or not. And um, have you read you know the very the very latest about his apparent um, uh, time as a drag queen in Brazil. Yeah. You know, I mean, and I saw an interview on CNN, I think, or something with with his former college roommate. And he was like, yeah, it was a really nice guy. He was like, of course, he's not George Santos. He said he was Anthony uh, DeValder in college. And here's what I thought was interesting. His roommate, who, who seemed to like him well enough, said even in college, Anthony DeValder said to this guy, I want to be elected to Congress. Even if I can only be there one term, I will have a pension and free health care for life.
5: That was his goal as a college student. And and it shows how how dumb he is because that's not reality. And I know that's the common idea that all you gotta do is be in Congress one day and you get lifetime everything. It's not how it is. I've got a friend who was in Congress for well over a decade. He didn't get health care when he had a heart attack and didn't have health care. He went broke. He doesn't have a long-term pension that, that they got to pay into. Sorry, the, the myths that they keep throwing out there are not reality. And this is the world that these folks have created. we a George Santos or Anthony Devalder or whatever, whatever he goes by. Uh, what is it? Uh, Katara, I guess, was his drag yes, name? Yes, Katara. Uh, you know, yeah, I mean, whatever he goes by, this is how people like this get elected because, well...
1: <laughs> no exactly.
5: Dig into his background. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or the one news organization. Here's, here's bo- Go ahead. Here's the bottom line on this, though. There's no downside of this for Republicans. Everyone goes, oh, this is the end of the Republican Party. No, no, it's not. Because these are people who don't believe in government. These are people who want the government to be destroyed. They want a neuter spade. They wanna they want to destroy our ability to deal with big problems. They want to destroy our ability to tackle and solve problems for the future. They want the very powerful and the wealthy to control this country. So anything they can do to make government look ineffective, broken, uh-huh, whatever and exactly. the thing was part of that is in their wheelhouse. They win when our government doesn't work. So it's amazing to me that people vote for these folks who say, hey, we don't believe in government. We're going to do everything we can do to destroy it, but vote for us. It's always amazing to me.
1: I want to talk a little bit more about that with uh, Rick Smith, who uh, does a show here on WCPT every evening. We're going to take a break and be back with more after this.
0: Need a new social media account to follow for progressive politics? WCPT820 is your best source for both progressive politics and programming. Give us a like on Facebook and a follow on both Twitter and Instagram.
5: Information is power. Stay
0: informed to know what's going on. Staying informed gives me the power of knowledge. I wake up. Need to know what happened. I turn on the radio. Because information is power. WCPT820, where facts matter. Is Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820.
1: I am talking with Rick Smith, who uh, does a show here in the evenings. And um, Rick, I was just perusing the news during the commercial break. And I don't know, maybe I missed this. Maybe this has already broken. Um, But I just saw that David Crosby died today. He was 81. Um Wow, Crosby, Stills, and Nash, a big part of our lives. Rick, you might be too young to really remember the Vietnam War, but I'm not. And Crosby, Stills, and Nash and their voices really lent some power to those protests that were happening at college campuses against the Vietnam War. Um, I knew that he had been suffering from um you know not great health over the years i did see him perform not that long ago um but i, I don't know uh, that's uh, shocking to me you know it's it, it i guess it happens when you get older that these people who were your your idols people who you admire and then you start seeing them pass away it um it really brings you a sense of your own mortality creeping up does it not mr smith
5: that reality is our, our youth is dying away. Uh, this is, you know, we're moving into that era where, you know, we're, the, we're supposed to be the ones who are leading the way now uh, and picking up the mantle and going forward. And, look, you know, Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young were you know, one of my favorite bands growing up as a kid. So it, 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 it is sad. You know, but it's sad when, when people pass. But take that, that activism, take that, that feeling that you had that and move that forward. That's always been my view on how do we move forward. How do we take his legacy and, and move, move that on uh, and use music in a way to, to move people? Uh, and, and, you know, I'm, I, I know people say, you know, this generation doesn't have that kind of stuff, but I'm seeing the kind of, of, of activism around labor, around uh, environment, around, you know, around civil rights, again, springing up. I'm, I'm starting to see those things happen. I think the pandemic had a lot to do with it, uh, but it is a sad day, it's a, it's sad to hear.
1: Yeah. Um, something you just touched on, I think, is, is really interesting. I think when the Dobbs decision came down, um, young people realized in ways maybe they never had before how this kind of, um, legislation and government and politicians really do affect the way we live. I mean, my generation, you know, I was in high school with guys who were you know, anxiously awaiting what their lottery number would was going to be is whether or not they were going to end up fighting in Vietnam. And and so, you know, the fact that government had an impact on your life was brought home very, very clearly to me and my generation. But I think up until Roe v. Wade was destroyed by the Supreme Court, a lot of younger people didn't have that visceral reaction. I mean, my daughter lives in a world w- where she has fewer rights than she had when she was born. And I think, I think that young people are going to really start getting involved. I think we saw it at the midterms, and we're going to see more of it. What do you think, Rick?
5: I look at my 20-year-old daughter. Who, look, I do this. Politics is in my blood. It's, it's what I wake up to do every day. My kids have no interest whatsoever. I drug her to rallies. I drug her to protests. I drug her to, you know, conventions. I drug her everywhere. She had no interest. But the second that 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 draft came out that said, "Uh oh, you're going to lose this. She immediately started showing up to those rallies. She immediately started being involved in registering the vote and, and going, hey, this is this affects me directly. And this is the kind of stuff that I think you know, the reason Democrats didn't take the bloodbath that they should have in, in, the, in the midterms or history told us they were is because those women are finally going, wait a second. Mm-hmm. This is me. Now, I've been talking about this for years because Roe is just the beginning. They're going to come after they're going to come after Griswold. That's always been the goal. They're going to come after labor rights. They're going to come after consumer rights. They want to turn this country into what they ideologically believe the 50s w- were. You know, a really great time where everyone was in their place. Uh, you know, gays were in the closet, blacks were, you know, in the field still, and women were in the kitchen. That's where they want to take us back to, uh, but without the strong unions and the, and the broad working class prosperity for for a good portion of the people.
1: I think you you hit the nail on the head. I mean, and it's this it's this idealized version of what the 1950s were. This sort of Christian nationalist. Um, and when you've got somebody like Mike Flynn, um, former former high level intelligence um, part of the Obama administration, where he got fired, reinstated by Trump. And Mike Flynn said a year or two ago that he really thinks that this nation, that we should all we should just have one religion. Rick, um, it's it's time that we had um, a one religion and that this should be a white Christian nation. That seems to be the underlying belief for a lot of these folks.
5: Well, these are our radicals. These are our Christian Taliban. Uh, You know, the people who I've been saying for years want an American version of Sharia law. There is no surprise. When you talk about extremism, it doesn't matter what, what, what label you give to them. These are terrorists. These are extremists. These are people who hate our country. Uh, They want to reshape it in some bizarre thing that they've. But, Rick, they would say they
1: love the country more than you. That's why they want to reshape it into this ideal.
5: Just because they're louder, just because they, they will incite violence. Just because they have some twisted view of what they believe this country is about doesn't mean that they love this country any more than I do. And this is where the left had better reclaim the flag and reclaim patriotism because standing up for the values of this country is patriotic. Not, not yelling and screaming and threatening our over attempting to overthrow an election? Seriously? We're going to call that patriotism in this country? No, I'm not, I'm not buying it. This is where we've got to reclaim the, the public space. and and proclaim our love for this country. I love this country and I will fight for this country because this is the place that gives people opportunities. You know, I may not agree with what you do or what anyone else does, but you have the right to do it. I grew up believing this is the land of the free. What happened to that? Life, liberty, pursuit of happiness. What happened to that? The the direction they're taking us is a very fascistic, narrow-minded, well, hate-filled future. And I, I don't think we should. I, we can't stand for that. Of all, all the
1: issues, court, mind you. if all the issues you've spent time covering um, in the last year, what would you say was the the most important or the one that you felt most passionate about?
5: I think the, the Roe issue, and it doesn't affect me. Look, I'm, I'm an old white guy. Uh, chances of me having an abortion are eh, pretty slim. And in fact, personally, I'm, I'm not in favor of abortion for me personally, not like I'm ever going to have one. Um, but I think taking someone's rights away under the color of law and making and creating a second-class citizenry, that, that's important. Uh, this court has been is, is dangerous. Uh, this 6-3 to three conservative court is very dangerous because of the decisions that they've made. I look at the Janus decision, which made the, the country a no-rights-at-work country for, uh, for public sector workers. They're now considering a, uh, a case that will basically make strikes almost impossible because companies will be able to sue unions for, for losses. Uh-huh. Um, they're now they've also going to take a case that says that, you know, people can take off work, you know, for religious observance, I'm not against this is why you negotiate stuff, but we're, we're going to that theocratic kind of direction. So for me, the direction that the court is taking is the most important, the Roe thing being that, that flashpoint that got a lot more people's attention. Uh, for me, it was Janus. For me, it was Friedrichs before that that the court was going to consider it. But what the court's doing is, is really dangerous because they're consolidating power. Uh, we're no longer three co-equal co- branches of government. It's the Supreme Court. It's it's the six dictators in robes who yeah. are going to cause the most damage.
1: And uh, the one court case Rick was referring to, if you listen regularly, you know I had a court expert on last week, and we talked about this. And what this case argues is that it's basically a way for companies and corporations to try to make striking more painful, if not impossible, because the, what they're arguing is uh, there was a, a cement company and there was a strike. And when the strike was over, the, a truck that had been filled with cement, all the cement was bad. And the company is arguing, well, we should be able to sue the union and sue the workers to make a good on that. But it's also so easy to extend that. Well, you know, our salespeople uh, couldn't work, so we lost out on this kind of business. And. And, you know, and and oh, by the way, that truck just sat there. So now it needs new tires and we need to, you know, and it's it's one of those things where where there might be a, a tiny element that you think, well, I guess I can see they lost all that cement. Somebody should. But but it's just a ploy. It's just a trick. And it is one of those things where if the Supreme Court sides with the company it will mean that it, it will be financially almost impossible for small unions to go on strike because they will literally be sued out of financial existence.
5: Yeah, but here's the thing, and this that's the point. You, you hit on the point right there. It's not even about winning the the, the judgments, not even about getting the money for the lost amount. And in this, this, this Glacier company uh, versus uh, Teamsters Local 174 out in, 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 in Washington, Um you know, the fact that they didn't have a plan in place for when the strike was going to happen is on the company. That's their fault. They should have been prepared for that. The fact that the managers didn't know how to how to deal with, with, with pouring concrete, which is bizarre to me, how you manage a company and not know how to operate the machinery. But uh, that's on them. But this is going to open the door for frivolous lawsuits. You remember that word? Uh-huh. Remember, that? remember the frivolous lawsuit thing? This yep. is going to be corporations suing every time just to keep labor fighting in the courts and chewing up resources that they could have been using and organizing other workers. This is the plan. This is what they've done time and time again. There's nothing new here. But the Supreme Court, you said, if it happens, I guarantee the Supreme Court's going to decide on the side of corporations because they always do.
1: Yeah, that's the Supreme Court of the United States, I think right now is as big a threat to us as white domestic terrorism. Um, Rick Smith and I have so much more to talk about. We're going to take a real quick break are going to be back right after this.
0: Podcasts of Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, are available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and SoundCloud. Just search WCPT 820.
3: Because facts matter. You are listening to WCPT 820.
0: Attention, everyone. Don't turn that dial. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive, returns right now on WCPT 820.
1: I'm joined by Rick Smith. You hear his show every evening here on WCPT. We have been talking about this uh, Supreme Court that we are living with right now, and which seems to be as great a threat to our democracy as any January 6th insurgent, certainly uh, with a lot more influence. Court reform, what form can it realistically take? President Biden, Rick, has said he is not interested at this point in time in trying to increase the number of members of the court, which would, of course, dilute it. And even if they started things like term limits, I've talked to a couple of uh professors that are experts in the Supreme Court, and they said it would be difficult, if not impossible, to make term limits retroactive. So what do we do? Where, where do you see
5: hope? Well, this is where we have to we have to legislate undo uh, do some of the dangers and damage that the court's already done. Saturday is the 13th anniversary of uh, making corporations, people and making speech, uh, making money speech. Uh, the Citizens United, 13 years ago, uh, Saturday, 13, they decided Citizens United. That is a place to start, in my view. We need to pass some kind of, of comprehensive election reform uh, and get money, get big money out of politics. Uh, it's, it's insane the amount of, of dark money that flows through our political system to where the incentive for these politicians is to do something like they did with this this fake tax act that they came up with yesterday. That would give the wealthy enormous, enormous tax breaks that would then come back in the form of, of political donations to them. We've uh-huh. done that democracy money combined. We've done it through our tax code and through our political spending. For me, it's about the money. Uh, you know, all the, all the other stuff aside, it's about the money. Uh, the, the money and the power that, that flows through this system have to be addressed. And, and it's the reason that Republicans, uh, you know, the ideologues. Not your average Republican voter who's been led to believe, I hate, I hate that theory about race that's critical, or, uh-huh. I hate those, you know, the, the bathroom people. It's, it's not those folks. It's not the dupes and the pawns. The ideologues know the real game. It's about getting as much money as they can possibly get out of our government and giving it to the smallest number of people possible. Uh, I like to say that the wealthy work harder than all of us put together because they're working to take money out of our pocket and put it into theirs and they do a really good job of it. So for me, it's about awakening people to the reality that we've been getting ripped off for 40 years. Supply-side voodoo Reaganomics and all the neoliberal trade and all this stuff has been designed and is working perfectly to screw the working class of this country. And as, soon as we, the sooner we can take off the red hats and the blue hats and put on a hard hat, uh, the sooner we're going to get this country rebuilt and moving in the right direction. And that starts with, with political campaign reform. That starts with the money. Uh, that's where we need to go. And, and all the other stuff is just it's the circus. It's the bread and circus that keeps us occupied while they're picking our pockets.
1: Well, speaking of uh, circus, uh, we're going to circle back to the circus that is now Congress. One of the things that I predicted before the midterm elections was that if we lost one house, that pretty much... Nothing would get done. I mean, I don't think the wackadoodle bills uh, that um, I mean, w- you know, the IRS thing. I mean, Chuck Schumer was like, we're not even going to we're not in the Senate. We're not even going to we're not even going to bring that over here. I think that the next two years we're going to be spinning our wheels and and nothing is going to get accomplished. Do you see a way for that to be something else?
5: There, there are a couple of things that give me hope. There's some talk on China that I'm, I'm, I'm guardedly optimistic that we might get something done because I think people are coalescing around the idea that our supply chains are horribly broken and that we do need to do something. Now, will Republicans do anything that will make it look like Joe Biden is going to get a win? No, but maybe we can start building some groundwork there. Uh, what we're going to get for the next two years is, is wonderful content. For you and for me, uh-huh. as we sit in uh, every day to talk about how ludicrous and how broken the system is, and this plays right into the Republicans' hands. See, government's broken; it doesn't work. We need to privatize education. We need to privatize infrastructure. We need to privatize more stuff. Give it to the to the wealthy elites because, hey, remember, they're smart. They know what to do. It's what they told us on the tax cuts. We give the rich people all the money. They're smart. It'll it'll trickle down. Remember that. Remember the trickle. Yeah. Have you been trickled on? I mean, I've, I've, been, I've got a steady stream of trickle. It's not, the, it's not the rivers of gold and honey I was promised. Uh, it's yellow, all right, a little salty. For my I'm getting trickled on, all right. But what we've got our lower wages. We've got less opportunities for health care. Our pension system's been destroyed. Working conditions are getting worse. But, hey, we've got the freedom to hate on other people and worry about what someone's doing in their life. And this is the mastery of what Republicans have pulled off. This is the sleight I have. They got us c- caring about what the neighbor doing instead of worrying about what's mm-hmm. happening in our kitchen.
1: Do you think yeah, these do alleged do you think these alleged moderate Republicans that at least theoretically are uh, part of Congress uh, will ever uh, step forward and emerge as
5: leaders? No, no, there are no moderate Republicans. If there were look, if there were moderate Republicans. The McCarthy fight would have never happened. They would have gone to the Democrats and said, hey, let's get uh, Fitzpatrick, who I don't think is a moderate, but uh, my labor friends like him, uh, because, you know, he's he's right on a couple of issues. Uh, you would have gotten a, a functional speaker that didn't have to sell his soul and his children to get the, the speaker's gavel. Um, you would have had a functional system that said, hey... Uh, let's find some compromise because we've got to govern. We've got to do the work of the American people because children are going to bed hungry. Veterans are on the street homeless. We've got a massive inflation problem. We've got, we've got numerous problems. Where someone goes to the bathroom isn't high on that list for me.
1: I was kind of surprised by that, too, that some of the more supposed alleged moderate Republicans didn't go to Hakeem Jeffries um, and say, look, you know, you guys don't have the votes. I'm Joe Smith and I'm a I'm as good as you're going to get. You guys vote for me with my 10 friends and we're going to be and we're going to work together going forward. Nobody did that.
5: No, no, because there are no moderates. Stop with the stop with the wishing and hoping. There are no moderates there. There are only variations of extreme. There are no moderates left in that party, and and that's the sad reality. I wish there were. Look, I wish there were pro labor Republicans left. You know, years ago, back in the Gingrich years, there were like ninety. Uh, Republicans who would vote for prevailing wage laws. There were like 90 of them that stood up for, for, for sane trade deals. Those are all gone. They have been they have been extricated from the the, the party completely and replaced with, with, well, the GED queen and the, uh, the, the train wreck woman because it's all about the media star. It's all about, hey, look at me. It's the attention. And let's not forget gerrymandering. We don't get these extreme, crazy districts that bring us these characters if you have fair competitive districts. Now, I'm not against gerrymandering. I would love to gerrymander every district in this country in a way that they were competitive, where we're fighting on ideas on how to make workers' lives better, instead of how we can consolidate power into one hand or another. I want to make sure we get the best policy, because good policy makes lives better. Uh, Because just as we've seen over the last 40 years, bad policy making people's lives worse, good policy can make people's lives better.
1: Absolutely, and I think you know as uh, Build Back Better and the infrastructure bill start having an impact. That's exactly what Democrats do. Democrats make people's lives better. Republicans talk some kind of phony talk. Democrats get it done, and I think it's 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 important that you and me and Stephanie Miller and Tom Hartman and Patty Vasquez just keep saying this over and over again and making sure that it sinks
5: in. No, the one thing that Trump was masterful at is he was, he's, a, he's a, the ultimate carnival barker. You know, you ask him, he, he, he would have solved it. He solved every problem. Had a plan for everything, did everything. Remember infrastructure week? We had infrastructure every week during his presidency. Had cute little pictures of him driving it, pretending to drive a truck. Him hey, with a little hard hat on top of his head with a shovel. It was great photo ops. Didn't actually have any policy to back it up. He didn't actually do anything, but was great at using the megaphone. On the other hand, conversely, we've got Joe Biden, who has been showing up doing the work. You know, Sleepy Joe, take in between his naps, actually doing the work <laughs> that needs to get done. I just wish someone would be out there a little bit more going, look, you know, Joe Biden did this. In fact, my idea has been big 20-foot cardboard cutouts of that idiot sticker they used to slap on the gas pumps, going, look, what Joe, Joe Biden did this. I want one to say, yeah, Joe Biden did this when the road gets paved, when the bridge gets fixed, when we we increase broadband access in the rural communities, when we bring back manufacturing facilities. Yeah, Joe Biden did this. The policies of this administration did this. That's what we need to be doing more of. That's what we need to be using the
1: microphones. You need to put your feet up and uh, take a rest. You need to bring some of this energy to your show tonight. Rick Smith, always a pleasure to talk with you. That is going to be it for me. Patty Vasquez is up next. I will see you tomorrow at 2 o'clock. Until then, stay safe, my friends. Have a great evening. Good night.